Hello, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. I'm Mara Davis, media maven, talent producer and booker, and feeling really good that I have friends in high places. And I am Terry, a Nullowitz state representative. I am also a dog person. I'm also really good at yammering, which I've made good use of the past few days. Okay, well, we're going to talk about that in a minute in our media training sessions. Yes. Um, You don't need a whole lot of that, but still. So um, I say friends in high places because Terry and I were able to attend this big event with the vice president of the United States last week. And I got an email from Terry that was like showing like Kamala Harris is going to be in town. And I said, I responded to this. I'm like, is this a flex or are you inviting me to go with you? And it was an invitation, obviously. And I was all excited and um, we went and we just want to tell you a little bit about it. I mean, I have to say that um, we both got really dressed up and we were there on time. But the most fascinating part of all of it, it was a big event in, in Buckhead. Um, not a lot of people. It felt like there were more people like going to be there, but it was only probably like maybe 200 people. What do you think? No, I think that's about right. Because it was a it was a huge space. It was a space that I, was new to me. I had not been there before. Uh, they had valet parking You were able to, you know, once you got in, and we'll talk about the process of getting in, but it was fewer people. Like like when she was speaking and everyone was crowded around sort of the area, it was, I mean, it was a full room, but it wasn't quite as full as I think I might've expected it to be, which is actually nice. There was an intimacy to it. It did feel intimate. So like you're going in and it took a long time to actually get into the event because the FBI and the GBI and the Secret Service and I don't even, every service was there. Like Flourish, where the event where it is, is right on Maple Street. um, And, but everything around it had such a big police presence, which really fat, like all the way at where the Buckhead Diner used to be. Like it was crazy. But like they were sweeping our cars and dogs and the whole thing. And I just wanted to ask a million questions. Like, are they all from D.C.? Some of these guys are local. Some of them are national. I mean, they were going through our cars. I know I didn't have anything, but I was nervous. Oh, yeah, no, I do have logistical questions. Like I know the Secret Service, they're part of the Department of the Treasury. So they do do more than just protect the president and the vice president and the Speaker of the House, et cetera. They do do a lot of things like that. So what I, I, I do wonder, though, yeah, like what... How do they fly them in on Air Force Two? I knew they flew into Hartsfield. Like how I'm fascinated by the logistics because I know that there were probably agencies there that aren't even occurring to us, but the security appropriately was very thorough. But I do have questions about how it works. If you know how, if you're somebody who understands the logistics of Secret Service details, I would love to hear more. If you're the lady Secret Service agent, Ping us, DM us, they're open. Oh yeah, I was fascinated with that because the the Secret Service presence inside the building was was fascinating too because, you know, you knew who they were. It was quite obvious, but you knew that there were probably people there in plain clothes that, that were just like maybe at the party or like bartending or whatever who were pretend, like, I feel like maybe I watched too many like shows to think that maybe that's happening. But um, 
It was a lot of very handsome, hunky dudes um, doing all the security, and they were super, super friendly. So we finally get in, and you go through the metal detector. And then once you got in, it was, like, very relaxing and fabulous and all, like, the Georgia Democrats. You know, you had uh, Jason Estevez, a state senator. You had Nakima Williams, our congresswoman, speaking. I mean, you had a lot of different, you know, types there. Terry and I were dressed to the nines. Terry, you had your red, white, and blue. I'm a state representative representing dress. I loved it. That's right. Had pleats, one piece, swirls (laughs) of red and blue. It's fabulous. So here's the question I have to ask. And like, if you're listening, please. Okay. So I was wearing a green suit, a lime green suit that is like a power suit. Right. And... Some one of the volunteers, Amanda, shout out Amanda, said to me, oh, you're wearing green. You got the memo today. And I was like, all right. Because sometimes I just go along with it and pretend like when I got there early, she's like, Omera, are you covering media or are you just attending? And I was like, all right, hoping I could get in early. Right. But she, she stopped that. So apparently uh, Vice President Harris's sorority colors and it's alpha kappa alpha incorporated correct their colors are lime green and pink so when i walk in every like a lot of her sorority sisters her sorters are wearing this color because they got the memo (laughs) okay now, Terry, I was getting some looks. Now, was this like a fail? Um, like, I first of all, I didn't know. And then there were some women looking at me like, well, obviously you were not in our sorority. Right. You, you, you were wearing apple green because the colors are officially <laughs> salmon pink and apple green. Okay. And I would describe your suit as apple green. But I think that most of them knew that there was no intention to have any kind of a faux pas. And I would think that a lot of grace was probably shown. You weren't wearing pearls. That might have right. been a, a bridge too far. Well, and that was the whole thing. Because I would, so anyway, so that was what was funny. And then, of course, there were a lot of speeches. And you and I waited a long time for the first lady, but she did give a speech. And what do you, what did you think of her speech? I thought she was fantastic. So, I told Mara before, I was like, I'm not a big person who likes hassles. Like, I'm not big on hassles. I went and I saw President Obama when he was here in 2018 stumping for Stacey Abrams. I was like, great, awesome, check that box, never have to do it again. I went and heard President Biden speak when he was here campaigning. It was a, a drive-in rally at Lakewood Amphitheater in 2020. I was like, awesome, check that box, seen President Biden, he was great, Done. I was like, okay, this is an opportunity to see the vice president, to see Kamala Harris. Haven't seen her in person yet. Haven't seen her live. I was like, maybe I'll have the chance to get a photo. Uh, let's let's do it. We're going to do this. And so I, you know, RSVP'd, purchased a ticket, and it was it was worth it. She, you know, there was a hassle. I have now checked my vice president Kamala Harris box. Uh, but it was, she was fantastic. She was optimistic. There, there was a common theme you know, when Congresswoman Nakima Williams was introducing her, when we heard Senator Estevez, when we heard former state representative Matthew Wilson, who is a, he's high up with the Democratic Party of Georgia. The message was clear. Like they had their talking points memo. 
And the message was clear that we have accomplished incredible things in Georgia. We have these two Democratic senators who we've elected statewide. We keep thinning the margins in the General Assembly. That will relate to what we're talking about later on. We, we have accomplished so much. We have done so much. We've got to keep going. And I really feel like that was the message. Is like, thank you, Georgia, for everything you have done. Please continue doing what you've been doing because we've got to we've got to keep this momentum up because we know that in four years we're going to have somebody who we do not know. You know, names floated or, you know, we heard Brian Kemp's name floated. We heard different names floated, but somebody's going to be challenging Senator Ossoff in four years. And so that's going to be a critical, critical time for Georgia Democrats. Well, also, like, I was so fascinated, Terry, with the optics of everything. Like, of course, like, the getting in, the going in, who's there, and, of course, all the Atlanta media was there. So, uh, you know, that's where I, like, where you know a lot of the political people, I felt comfortable because I saw, you know, of course, we both know Greg Bluestein, and uh, we saw Karen Greer talk to Raul Bali, my former intern. Um, so it was just, uh, it was really, so that part was was interesting. And I was thinking, I was like, wow, you know, they have to show up to so many of these and like the vibes that must be so different at each party. Like I was thinking to the DJ, like she must have played I'm Every Woman like 10 times. <laughs> you know, it was totally. just like... And then, like, if you're at a Republican one, there's a lot of, like, country music and, you know, it's just that must be, like, a different, like, I we got to talk to, like, one of our uh, political reporters about the differences in the events. Oh, yeah. Like, how is the energy? How is the different? Is there a lot of Lee Greenwood at the Republican ones? I assume <laughs> there is. I don't know. Well, you've gone to a couple of events lately. I know this because you, you've been invited, um, being a representative over the past couple of weeks, you've, you've done a couple of, um, Republican events. Tell me about that. I have. So I will. But the thing is, they weren't really Republican events. They were events where the Republican governor was the headliner. But I wouldn't say they were necessarily Republican. So and we're talking about the the big one, which was the Cobb County Prayer Breakfast, which is an annual event. It is so early in the morning. (laughs) So I don't go every single year, which probably makes me a terrible person. But it's really, really early and it's during the, you know, it's during the middle of the week and it's, you know, I've got kids, I've got school age kids. So that's, that presents its own challenges. But yeah, so they were there, uh, the governor and the first lady and the girls, all three girls were the headliner event to have sort of a panel discussion with the girls talking to, to the governor and the first lady about, you know, their, their faith, things like that. Great event. I wore, what did I wear to that? I actually wore black to that because it was early and I had this jumpsuit that feels like pajamas and I'm passive aggressive. So I'm like, if I've got to be out of bed this early in the morning, I'm going to wear something that feels like pajamas. But I did wear it with high heels. You always look so good. Oh, I mean, you're you're, so kind. And you won AJC's best dressed legislator. That's so, true. I mean, That's true. So like, yeah, there's my, a lot of my pressure parish on priest you. mentions that every time I see him, actually. <laughs> the uh, But the other event where I saw them was at the annual memorial event for at at the state public safety training facility, which is that's the ceremony that honors all of the public safety officers who have been killed in the line of duty in the past the past year. And so that, you know, neither were really I really wouldn't call them Republican events. I would call them bipartisan events or really nonpartisan events that happen to have been presided over by you know, by by the, by a by a Republican governor, and had had the Republican governor as the keynote speaker. But I do try to go to every event that I'm able to. I don't have a regular nine to five job, so I have a lot 
of latitude to, with my schedule. And so I do feel like it is important if I can make it to these events to go to these events, because first of all, it shouldn't be just Republicans at these events. You know, I was there and there was one other Democrat at the public safety memorial ceremony. And that was honestly a little bit disappointing because I know we all got the invitation. I know we all get the same emails from the governor's office and I'm not trying to chastise anyone. I know we all are doing our, the best we can with our own lives because being in the general assembly is a very part-time job. But personally, I think that it is very important for Democrats in particular to be present at these events, even if they are a little bit outside of your comfort zone. And I will confess, as a Catholic, praise bands are so far outside of my comfort zone, I cannot even begin. It's like, it's like, it's like going to just, it's like completely foreign, totally outside of what I am accustomed to. Praise bands just like are not a thing in, with Catholic worship. Very far outside my comfort zone. I do it. Who are you talking to? I'm like Jewish girl oh, yeah. from South Florida. <laughs> like, like, what's a praise band? band? I'm like, what? No, but I know what it is because I've watched so many like episodes of like Righteous Gemstones exactly. and things like that. So I know what it is from that. And I'm a terrible so person. That- and all I think about is the Righteous Gemstones <laughs> every time I am presented or confronted with a praise band. And God, like I do not want to yuck someone's yum. That is not... My that is right. not my goal. Totally, that is not my totally agenda. no no. I, but but I think that your overall point is really great because I think I love that about you. I love showing up, and when you tell me you go to these things, I want to go to them too. And I think that that's a perfect pivot into our next topic because I think showing up to things is important, even if it is uncomfortable for you. Having having a conversation is important even if it's uncomfortable for you. Um, so last week also was a big political week. I mean, I feel like I was like, I don't know about you, like you're getting me out and I love it. Um, there was a um, press conference at the Georgia State Capitol to introduce a special session on gun legislation. And it was really, really moving. A lot of people showed up, uh, the Georgia Moms for Change and Moms Demand, and uh, all of you uh, in the Senate and the House, a lot of people were there. Um, So set the scene on how that came together. So this was really, I think a lot of credit goes to State Representative Syra Draper, who is can't remember what her number is. I think she might, it might still be 89, but she is in town Atlanta. That is the district that was formerly represented by B. Wynn, who ran for Secretary of State prior to B. Wynn. It was represented by Stacey Abrams. So Syra represents a very, very strong Democratic district in Atlanta. And that she is part of this freshman class of legislators who came in for this 2023 session. They were elected in November 2022. And it's a phenomenal group of folks. I mean, a phenomenal group of folks. And the, the freshman class includes folks like Syra, who worked with voter protection for years through the Democratic Party of Georgia. And it has folks like Michelle Au, who served in the Senate before she was kind of drawn into almost an impossible district for the Senate. But she knew she could run for a state house district, and she did, and she won. It has uh, State Representative Doug Stoner, who previously was on, you know, he had served in the House years ago. He had been in the state Senate. I served with him on the Smyrna City Council. 
He ran statewide a couple years ago for PSC, and he did not win that. But he's like, okay, there's a when Eric Allen decided to run for lieutenant governor, Doug Stoner ran for that seat. So there's a there is a just and that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. There's Karen Lepton, who's a former Brookhaven City Council member. I mean, there's there are so many amazing folks in this freshman class, and they have they really decide. Really, I'm going to give them credit for kind of taking the lead on putting this press conference together. And you know, of course, the House Democratic Caucus said they had the full support of of leader James Beverly and of whip Sam Park, who was a big presence at the press conference, but they were able to put together. And I was, I got there and I realized how many speakers there were. And the, you know, the former comms person to me was like, do you want to have this many people speaking? They did an amazing job with these speakers and every individual speaker did an incredible job. And it was, it was inspiring to be there to see all of the Georgians not all women, but mostly women, because it was a lot of moms. It was a lot of mothers, a lot of grandmothers who many of them had never been inside the Capitol building before. That is intimidating. And I have just such tremendous respect to any member of the general public who comes down to the Georgia Capitol for whatever the reason is, whether it's for a press conference, whether it's to testify before a committee. I have such tremendous respect for people who are willing to put themselves out there like that. Talk about going way outside your comfort zone, because I know these are a lot of people who previously have not been super engaged in the day-to-day goings-on of politics, really at any level, state, local, federal. You know, they pay attention, they'll vote every, they'll vote every four years, but they're not necessarily folks who, you know, have the cell number of their state representative and their cell phone or have been to a town hall or do things like that. And this issue of gun safety has struck such a nerve that folks are willing to go outside their comfort zone, go to the Capitol, and to be there for this for this press conference. And you were there, too. Yeah, and I went with my friend Courtney Wagner. She had never been to the Capitol. This was only my second time at the Capitol. I only went one other time when I went to go visit Jen, and it was during COVID, and it was like I was so nervous and had a mask on, and it was just like I was so overwhelmed by the experience. And it was so exciting to be there again, and I talked to a lot of great people, and it was really just... It was very moving and, you know, but a lot of people have the, you know, we're talking about showing up and getting out of your comfort zone and really the message of all this, you know, three things that that, that the Democrats are asking for, for a special session and tell us what those three things are. We are, we're asking for three things, common sense, all of them. One of them is safe storage. This is a bill that Senator Representative Michelle Al has. I think the, her bill number is 161. It's a House bill. It will still be active in January of 24 when we go back for the second half of the session. We know that gun deaths are, the, it's the number one cause of death for children and adolescents in Georgia and in the United States. And we know that there are so many things that can be easily prevented. There are so many things that we do try to regulate we try to codify whether it's swimming pool safety or seatbelt safety or car seat safety. This would add gun safety. If you have guns in your home, they would need to be stored in a reasonable, safe way. And that is what the, that's what that's what the safe storage bill would do. The second thing that we are asking for is red flag laws. Like Jen had a bill in 2018 that passed committee unanimously in the Senate. Republicans and Democrats all voted for it. That bill would have just done, if you were convicted of domestic violence, you wouldn't be able to get a gun, right? Like, these are things that overwhelmingly, like 80 plus percent in an April 23 Fox News poll, folks pe- folks were like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. You know, we, people who shouldn't, 
you know, people who might be a risk or a danger to others or to themselves probably so shouldn't basic. be able to get a gun. It's re- yeah. Yeah. Like my brother, who is like super big, happy gun guy. He's like, no, that makes sense. He's like, well, because it used to be right. Like it used to be people's like, well, I grew up and I can say this like I grew up and I went to high school in Texas in the 90s and people always had a shotgun in their back of their pickup truck. But like they couldn't just buy it the way they can now. Correct. There was a process. There was a process. There was respect. Like I learned how to shoot a gun as a kid and like the whole thing was respect. It's they become these ornaments, these fetish. It's just anyway, I'm digressing. I got to talk about the third thing. So we've talked about. Yeah, we've talked about, you know, the red flag. We've talked about safe Mm -hmm. storage. And the third thing is universal background checks, because like I said, it's not like when I was in high school in Texas in the 90s and, you know, somebody would have a shotgun in the back of their truck. But you're like, well, you know, they had to be pretty fully vetted to be able to have that shotgun in the back of their truck. You can just buy a gun. You can there are no background checks for gun sales or for, for gun shows. There are no background checks for private party sales. There are no background checks For example, if, and I've seen this recently, like somebody's Little League team for a fundraiser is doing a gun raffle, whoever wins that raffle, nobody's checking their background. And what's so wild about that is it's so easy to do a background check on somebody. Like we have the technology. It's so easy. So these three things seem to be like mindless, like 80 to 90% of Georgians feel comfortable with this. Right. And let's face it, the special session is not likely to happen, but showing up is so important. Then there was a protest in the park, in Piedmont Park on Saturday. And then here in my neighborhood in uh, Virginia Highland, so I got a new little toy and I was, I went out there and I interviewed a couple of people and here was some of the feedback. Let's see how... It went. Today, including last week when they were in lockdown at school, so I thought it was just important to raise awareness that we could use uh, gun control. Have you ever been to a protest before? Uh, more than I can count. <laughs> As have they. But why does this feel so uh, important right now? It feels like we might actually be able to make some change. Things seem to be like actually making some headway in places like Texas and Tennessee. And so if it can do that there, then we should be able to do that in Georgia. We were able to elect two senators, Democratic senators. So it feels like we should be able to make some headway in the legislature. How old are your kids? I have an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 13-year-old. Describe what a lockdown drill is like? Oh, absolutely. And my daughter was at Crog Street Market a couple weeks ago where somebody came in the parking lot and started shooting while she was there. And it didn't even make the news because no one was actually shot. So she came home and just shrugged and said, another day in America. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, no problem. What's your name? Jennifer Holbach. Jennifer, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thanks, Jennifer, for talking to me. I mean, that's crazy, right? Oh, it's unbelievable. Like, again, like, I'm assuming it was the 13-year-old just at Crog Street doing what 13-year-olds do, which is, you know, probably getting Jennies, <laughs> you know, doing, getting, I, I would, I'm not 13, but I would get the Jennies. Uh, <laughs> and you shouldn't have to worry about this, but we are, we're so just immersed in this. Someone asked me a couple of weeks ago, have, no, it was a week ago because it was after my kid's school was on the code yellow. They were on code yellow. The middle school was on code red for after the the Midtown shooter had come up to Smyrna. 
And someone said, well, had there been ever been anything like this at the school before? I was like, well, once there was a false alarm and it was actually kind of reassuring because it, you know, everything worked the way it was supposed to. I was like, oh, no, wait. I was like, yeah, there was a shooting in the parking lot after a football game a couple of years ago. Totally forgot about that. You know, <laughs> which is, it's the, there was a shooting in the parking lot down the street from my house. At, and, and, and because, again, you. Part of the reason why these gun this gun violence is so pervasive is because everybody has a gun. Either they've bought it be, without a permit, whatever. They've stolen it because so many dummies keep guns in their cars or somehow they're getting an unlocked gun from their parents. However, and things that used to be fist fights or brawls or at worst, maybe a stabbing, they're a gunfight in the parking lot yeah. of the high school. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really wild. I mean, and and then like as far as like it goes to school, I mean, this happened to my son's school this year, um, and it made news. It was just like a a copycat where it, it gets out on social media and TikTok, and they're like, oh, uh, someone's coming up to shoot your school. They had to cancel school that day, or they made school optional that day. So we're like all in like a constant state of like. On edge. I want to play you this other one because I did. I, I was actually able to talk to a teacher and um, got some feedback. Here we go. So what's your name? My name is Sarah Canavan. And you are a public school teacher. So what is, and obviously we didn't grow up with these lockdown drills. Talk to me about how that feels about being a teacher and having this as part of your reality. It's really frightening. Um, I teach at the local elementary school. Uh, I teach fifth grade. I have a fifth grader and a second grader there. And, you know, my husband watches the three of us walk out the door every day. And when things like this happen, it's very frightening. And it's happening constantly. Um, when we were on lockdown most recently, when Amy St. Pierre was killed, my second grader came into the room hours later after, you know, being locked down with her class and said, how many people were killed? That was her question at eight years old. And it just astounds me that, that this has become our new normal. And it shouldn't be normal, and it's not normal. And we should be safe, and guns should be regulated. Uh, there, it is absolutely astounding to me that it, the ease at which one can buy an assault rifle. And there's just no need. There's no need. How do you talk to your kids about this, your students, rather? Like, what's that conversation like in class? Uh, the conversation is about being safe and about it being a, a small chance, but we all need to be prepared. And it's about what would we do and where would we go and, and how would we keep each other safe. And unfortunately, it's a conversation that we have to have. And we're lucky to be in a beautiful school building with huge windows and lots of light. But that scares some children now. Children are scared of having classrooms with big windows because there's nowhere to hide. So when you hear people, activists say that teachers should have guns or there should be armed people at schools, as a teacher, what's your reaction to that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, because I don't have the training or the wherewithal or the desire. Why would I ever want a gun around children? The statistics about um, children being injured or killed when there is a gun in the home are huge huge and why would I want that in my classroom teaching children we don't teach children that two wrongs make a right we don't teach children who are hit on the playground to punch somebody back it just doesn't make sense pretty powerful right oh my gosh unbelievable yeah so Amy St. Pierre as she was uh, tragically uh, died in the midtown 
shooting. And it's just, it's really heartbreaking. I mean, she lived in my neighborhood and a lot of these people who were at this event were, knew her well. And it's just, so it's a total gut punch. Um, and just, and I, the other part of the interview that I got clipped was just talking about like how she will never give up, you know, that even the, the pressure on teachers makes her want to, you know, be an activist even more. So my question to you, Terry, is like, when you see all these women, mostly women, as you said, at the Capitol, mostly mothers and grandmothers, I mean, does that look when you're looking at an election coming down, you know, that I think I hope matters as far as like seeing the women who who make a lot of decisions in households. I think if Republican politicians are looking at this, they're looking at these women, they're looking at the women who have the signs that say, you know, I'm a Republican and I'm for gun control. If they're looking at this and they don't take it seriously, I think they are very, very remiss. Number one, we know that the margins in Georgia are very slim, right? Like we have a lot of people who voted for Brian Kemp and who voted for Raphael Warnock. I I think I have no reason to back, no, no data, no science. This is just pure gut instinct. I think a lot of the women who we are seeing come to these protests who've probably never done a protest before, I think a lot of them are probably some of those Kemp Warnock voters. And I am telling you, Republicans out there, if you're listening, this is their one issue. Gun safety is their one issue. And what I have told them when they have asked me, I'm like, look, I'm not saying you have to be a Democrat. I mean, welcome if you want to be like, we are here for you. But if you're a one issue voter, there is not a single Republican in Georgia right now who is trying to earn your vote. And that is just the reality of Georgia right now. And again, there are narrow margins. Even though we just went through redistricting, most seats are probably safer than ever. The margins are thin and the women, the mothers are paying attention. And again, these are folks who are a new constituency, right? And I think any politician needs to pay attention when someone who previously hasn't been that engaged, all of a sudden there is an issue that is prompting them to get engaged. You are remiss if you aren't paying attention. And what they are asking for, they're not asking for any bans. They're not trying to take anybody's guns away. I mean, that's that's nonsense. They just want to know that the state of Georgia, the leaders, the majority who is in charge of the House and the Senate and the governor's mansion and every other statewide office, they want to know that those are people who take common sense safety seriously. They want to know that those are people who are willing to be like, yeah, you know what? We probably should have better background checks. Yeah, you know, well, it, the, it, which, which is what happened in Tennessee. Yeah, so what's interesting about all of this, and and you brought this up so, like, great, when you were on uh, CNN with Jim Acosta over the weekend, which was, you did a great job. Thank you. A-plus on the Room Raider. Yeah, even though, like, you have to have a full screen for them. I try to get you rated no, and rate my Skype room. And I, like, hit all my cords. <laughs> I had a great angle, family photos. It was beautiful. So here we have, like you said, these these women who are starting to pay attention. Um, but we have the problem of these smaller gun groups. And Jen and I talked about this last pod- podcast. We talked about the these these groups that target Republicans specifically, and they do not want to bend. And you addressed this so great in your CNN interview. You look great. You did great. Um, and that's just like, 
that's the terrifying thing for them, which is why this is just really so interesting. Yeah, I mean, first of all, if I think that Republicans in Georgia need to remember who exactly it is they represent. And if they are going to continue to capitulate to these far-right extremist organizations that do not represent any of the sentiments of normal workaday Georgians, what these Republicans are telling me is that they're really bad at math. Because I am telling you, the numbers of these far-right folks is not enough to swing an election. It's just not. But the number of folks who are increasingly exasperated with the Republican inability to have a serious conversation about common sense gun policy is something that people are paying very close attention to. And again, there is no Republican in Georgia who is doing anything to try to earn the votes of these very moderate, very middle of the road, very workaday Georgians who just want to know that they're doing something to try to keep them safe. Well, it is interesting because, you know, you would have thought they would have moved the needle that their reproductive rights were taken away from them. Um, And there's a continued assault on that. And it's Mm -hmm. maybe it moved the needle a bit. I have my thoughts and how that could have been shaped in the um, 2022 midterms. But that's a conversation for another day. Um, but that's something that, you know, I've talked to some of these women and I'm like, listen, they're, they're not going to move on these guns, this gun stuff, unless you're making the calls and you're showing up and you're showing up, you're getting out of your comfort zone. Right. And I'm encouraged at how persistent these groups have been, especially these sort of newly emerging groups and the women who are, who are really, have really mobilized over the past few weeks you know, we we have seen, and I think they're using Tennessee as sort of a case study. They've seen in Tennessee how the pressure that they're putting on the governor and the General Assembly is working. It's definitely working with the governor, who's already had an executive order, at least one executive order, to strengthen background checks. So they so it's working. And in Tennessee, they are not relenting. They are continuing. And I have a feeling and I hope that I think these groups are going to continue. To, I mean, they're they're doing calls to action every day. One of the things they understand, too, is that it's not just Governor Kemp who can call a special session. If you've got three-fifths, if you've got 60% of the House and Senate who agrees, they can demand a special session. And that special session will happen if the governor doesn't approve it. I think after three days is what the Georgia Constitution says. There's going to be a special session if you've got 60% of the House and the Senate. Now, that would require some swings that would require, I think, in the House, like 29 Republicans would have to come on over to the side of rational thought and 11 Republicans in the Senate would have to. So is it likely? Probably not. Uh, But it could happen. And, And there's reason. I mean, I think there's reason to believe that if you, especially these swing, these districts in Gwinnett, in, you know, there's one Republican in Buckhead, the Buckhead Sandy Springs area, put the pressure on those folks. And I think that well, there might be some progress. Well, well, I also think it's so important, like you said, showing up, getting out of your comfort zone. It is so important to have the receipts. Oh my gosh, and yes. That's it. So it's like, you know, and I thought it was great. Like I saw Senator Parent when she was speaking at the Capitol event and she was just like pleading with her Republican colleagues. That was one thing that she was saying, like, because look, you know, what people don't see in the news media and like in the clicks and the the, the fighting and the division 
you all have to be friends and tolerate each other when you're in session and you have mutual respect for each other for the most part, right. I would think. And look, at the end of the day, like it's hard to kind of look at you know, gun violence. And again, so like they're caught in the middle because they're caught by these extreme gun groups and their actual constituents. So it's definitely something for us to keep our eye on and to stay active about it. And that's why we hope that you keep listening to the podcast and we'll continue to give more information. I want to just bring one, one more thing up. That's Georgia political that happened last week. And that's the bulldogs. The Georgia bulldogs were invited to the white house and declined going. And I thought that was really interesting. I look at that from a PR standpoint, point of view. Um, What did you make of that? I think it was a mistake for them to decline the invitation. And I think that for multiple reasons, and I think that the, the reasons that they gave for declining are a tiny bit specious. I mean, first of all, yeah, okay, so they're having a football camp. Like, I, I get that. Do they need all the players for the football camp? There are a bazillion flights a day from Atlanta to D.C. You know, the White House is not far from the airport. There, Like, there are ways to do this. There are ways to make it work. And it was pointed out on the Politically Georgia podcast, like, this might be the only chance some of these kids ever have in their lifetime to go to the White House. So why would you deny them that? Yeah, the timing, yeah, the national championship was in January. It is now, what is it? It's May. You know, I don't think that that's a huge deal. Like, the Braves won the World Series months before the Braves visited the White House because that was last September was when the Braves went to the White House. So it's that's just a thing that happens because you've got lots of different schedules. So I think the scheduling excuse is, is, is lame, I think that the fact that this is an event for this particular date was a lot of other colleges is a little bit lame because they had, per my understanding, other opportunities were offered to them. I just think it was a mistake. And I think, honestly, University of Georgia Athletics should be really prioritizing their public relations and their forward-facing image, just given all of the things that have been happening, all the revelations that we've had since the tragic death of a player and a staffer. And I think that this would have been an opportunity for them to show that they were good team players, as it were. Well, I think it was a PR fail uh, on the White House's part in a weird way, because I think it just it, it felt like they could never really get their shit together on this. And remember, like the first lady has gotten in. She's gotten herself in some hot water with inviting athletes to the member in the ladies March Madness. She invited both teams and it was like, wait, no. Oh, yeah, I was like, no, where's the protocol? Yeah. So I feel like. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to say, like, it's already June. Like, everybody forgot. I, 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 I it's like I, all those things can be true. But, like, ultimately, like, I'm kind of, like, going to say the White House could have done a better job um, of executing this from a PR standpoint. But I mostly agree because I don't even think they really want it either uh, in, in a weird way. You mm-hmm. know, I, I feel like. Yeah, the University of Georgia definitely does not want to answer questions and they're probably not going to, but it's still like, it's just, I don't know. It just seems so weird. It was like, it's, you know, invite in the middle of the June, June, we're not doing it. But of course, like every conservative took the time to, you know, put out their, their, you know, of course, you know, I had to check on Kelly Leffler. Did um, she say anything? Just to see... Um, she just put out a tweet that said, go dogs with the article attached of the, you know, 
the See, University of Georgia declining. That's um, tacky. You know, I listen, I've got to keep my Bible quotes going because nothing says I'm a conservative Christian uh, by taking a Bible quote, making it into a PDF, and then attaching your logo to it. <laughs> That's my favorite thing Kelly does. That's true. Maybe I'm I love utilizing it. my my Canva. This is just amazing. So anyway, okay. So let's get to our what we're raving about of about this week. And because this came out today when we're recording. Martha Stewart. Now, like, we have to give a shout out to like, I think women of a certain age are having a moment. Would you agree? Would you say, Mara, that we're in our prime? <laughs> You know, I, listen, that whole, like, Don Lemon thing, I, I, I mean, maybe we talked about this. I think I understand what he was trying to say about Nikki Haley in that whole thing. I think he was just saying she sort of, she peaked, you know, she peaked. She was the governor. She was the ambassador. She peaked. It came out wrong. But our, you know, I think women in their prime, I mean, like, Jane Fonda's never looked better. Uh, but now, um. You know, you've got like Julie Louis-Dreyfus as the top podcast. It's all about women of a certain age. You got Book Club, too. You know, all those incredible women like Candace Bergen, Mary Steenburgen, and and uh, Jane and Diane Keaton. And today, uh, Martha Stewart is on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Now, I love the pushing the envelope. So this was on her podcast. This is a little clip with MJ Day, who's the um, editor-in-chief of Sports Illustrated. And here's like a little behind-the-scenes audio from that. Sports Illustrated, for some unknown reason, asked me, Martha Stewart, to be one of the cover girls. Hi, gorgeous. Oh, I love that photograph. I mean, look at those legs. Oh. Look at that smile. Look at that fit. Oh. oh, that was a beautiful house, too, with that greenery and the very tropical interior. It was an amazing so place. Do you have another one to show? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Oh, this one. <gasps> Sexy, red, Marilyn Monroe-ish kind of pose. How beautiful are you? Yeah. You really rock that swimsuit. Oh, and this. Oh, those those fabulous sunglasses and that fabulous body glove suit. They were pouring water over my head. I was dunking constantly for that photograph. And the photographer was in the water with his cameras up to his chest. Mm -hmm. We baptized you. That's when you got your official baptism into Sports Illustrated swimsuit right there. <laughs> That's amazing, right? Inject it into my veins. <laughs> I want it all. I want it all. I love it. Whatever Martha is paying her PR people, she should probably, which is probably a lot. I mean, it's worth every penny. She has transformed her, like, her dotage, right? Like, she's unbelievable. Look, like, she went to jail, and in a weird way, it gave her this, like, gangster credibility. And she comes out, and she's best friends with Snoop Dogg, and they do all of these projects together. So she suddenly, like, expands her brand that way. And then, like, I don't know, like, what she's done cosmetically, if she's hadn't, you know, listen, it's none of my business, but she looks hot. I she mean, looks for great. 81. She looks amazing. So I think it's just, and, and I, I agree. We were both talking offline about like, just like having a good PR team and marketing or just someone who knows like you, you, I think when you're as women, as career women, 
you constantly have to reinvent yourself. And look, we're living it, right? I mean, we're just living it. It's just like you, you know, so that is so inspiring to see that, like how she's 81 and she is hot. She is 81. She is smoking hot. And here's a fun fact. She's a year older than President Biden, but nobody, and I mean, nobody's talking about how, I don't know, Martha Stewart, I mean, she's getting a little old. So maybe we need to reconsider how we view octogenarians because we have an octogenarian on the cover of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue. And she is not only appreciating, because she was a model in her, you know, in a, again, talk, in, a, in a, an earlier career, you know, yeah, there is so, we're, we're limitless. And I actually, I read a book about this recently from Strength to Strength by Arthur Brooks. And it talks about how, you know, how you make that transition when you have achieved a lot in your career, but you've got a lot of good years left in you. What are you going to do next? Are you going to like dwindle? Are you going to, you know, just kind of be marginalized? Are you going to make make your next move? And kudos to Martha Stewart for making this next move. And I think that that's what, that's that's what women do. And, but, but one of the things he says in the books, he's like, women tend to be much better at these transitions than men. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so inspiring to see that. And whoever had that idea, whether it was Sports Illustrated, because obviously, look, the publishing industry is at a crossroads too. It's not like people are buying magazines. And right. that swimsuit issue is so much as writing of that. It's like, you know, when like the big papers ha- or the new magazines have their best of issue. It's like, this is like the one that everybody waits for. And and they've done so many innovative things. And that was one that nobody really expected. And um, so who whoever had that idea, like, bravo, absolutely amazing. We love that. All right. Well, this is a lot of fun. We both got our equipment going. I have my little audio. So if you see me out on the street or Terry and I out on the street or Jen, no, Jen's not going out on the street. <laughs> I can guarantee you she's not. Terry, Jen I won't, think we can show up with join me. in our street walking. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, listen, if you have any feedback for us, please comment on the um, Apple podcast because it, anytime you can share this or reach out to us, um, we love your feedback and um, we're working on posting a lot more and going to a lot more parties, crashing parties and showing up and, and we are getting out of our comfort zone. Let's do it. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>